Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and today we are looking at Hosea chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Today, discussing this passage with us is my buddy and another one of my classmates, Mark Garner, who is the preacher at the Central Church of Christ in Haskell, Oklahoma. Mark, would you please introduce yourself to our crowd? Yes, sir. My name is Mark Garner. I'm the preacher at the Central Church of Christ in Haskell, Oklahoma. I graduated from the Memphis School of Preaching in June, uh, on June 18th, and then got married the very next day. So thank you for having me on, Josh. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you uh, dedicating the time as usual. As was mentioned, uh, we are looking at Hosea chapter 10, and it's hard to talk about Hosea without first laying the context of the entire book which is found in the first three chapters. God tells the prophet Hosea to go uh, find a wife, uh, a harlot wife. And so he does, and he has children with her. He provides for her, he protects her, yet despite his efforts and his affection for Gomer, uh, she leaves him and then finds herself being sold into slavery again. Uh, and Hosea goes in despite everything she did to him and buys her back. And God uses that as a metaphor of Israel, Gomer being represent, a representative of Israel, Hosea being a representative of God. And God uses that to illustrate the spiritual idolatry and the covenantal idolatry that Israel committed uh, against him. And so that's the concept behind it of Israel. God provides for Israel. Israel betrays uh, God, uh, commits that spiritual adultery uh, against God, uh, yet God wants to bring them back. It shows the love God has for his people. And when we come into verse 10, I think it's, I think it's fitting to note that the first two verses of verse 10 essentially set the context for the remainder of the chapter. It says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built, and his country improved. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. And then we come down to verse 11, and that's going to be the thread that runs through, is that God blessed them, and in their state of prosperity, which at this particular time, uh, Hosea being the uh, 11th hour uh, or deathbed prophet uh, by because he is the last prophet that would prophesy to Israel before they were taken into the Assyrian captivity. God makes the point that while they were living in a state of prosperity, rather than being thankful for God and the blessings that he provided, they turned their back on him and began to worship as the pagan nations around him. And so God has said, your time is up. Uh, and now it's time to pay the consequences for your actions. And so picking up verse 11, it says, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must herald for himself. Mark, what do you have on that verse? Well, this is a very interesting verse here. Ephraim represents Israel, the northern kingdom. And it says, I have Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4 written out to the side here but it says Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain but it says but I harness her fair neck I will make Ephraim pull a plow 
And what God is saying here is that Israel, that northern kingdom, is going into bondage because of their wickedness. One of the great things about Hosea, and you mentioned it, you know, he's sometimes called a prophet zero hour. Throughout the book of Hosea, we see God's love for backsliders. And the northern kingdom was in a reprobate state. And here God is saying that because of their wickedness, they're going into captivity, but not just the northern kingdom. He says, Judah shall plow, Jacob shall break his cause. Judah, the southern kingdom, will also go into captivity as well, but it will come a little later. But it just goes to show that God's patience has has ran up uh, with the northern kingdom because of their wickedness, and they are going into bondage. Excellent point. Uh, and I like how you pointed out the northern kingdom. Ephraim is a representative, represents that name, represents the northern kingdom. Judah represents the southern, southern kingdom. Uh, I like that you made the point that the yoke uh, here is bondage, because if you look at the beginning of this passage, uh, trained calf, I underline that phrase, and that's an important phrase because a trained calf at that time to thresh to thresh whatever uh, they were threshing, uh, grain or, or vegetables or whatever it was, uh, separating the stalk from the actual grain itself, corn, and so forth, uh, that trained calf would do it without any type of yoke uh, to guide him. Uh, that trained purpose was uh, he was able to move about freely uh, to do the job. This was a sweet gig if you were a calf because as you worked, you got to eat your fill of whatever it was. And uh, and you didn't have to carry the burden of the, the weight of the yoke as you did it. Uh, and that's the point that God is making is, is he allowed them in their prosperity uh, to do what they wanted. But as a result... Uh, they left, and so now uh, that yoke of bondage has come out upon them. Judah uh, is, the again, the southern kingdom. But Jacob uh, there, Jacob must herald for himself. Uh, I think and one commentator, I can't remember who it was, made the point that he believes the Holy Spirit inspired Hosea to write that phrase in order to remind them of their true purpose. Their true purpose wasn't to enjoy the prosperity uh, and to be this mighty nation. Uh, that acted like the nations round about them. Their pro purpose was to set themselves apart from the nations round about them because God promised through Abraham that through this nation, the Messiah will come into the world. There was a lot riding on, on their existence, uh, not because they were better than anyone else, better than any Gentile nation from a nationality standpoint, but simply because God chose this nation to bring forth the Messiah, which would eventually die and cleanse men and, and provide all men, Jew and Gentile, uh, the opportunity to uh, forgive their sins, to cleanse themselves of their sins uh, with the blood of Christ and to uh, have eternity with God. So uh, I like the fact that it points out that Jacob must hear himself. Your purpose and everything that's happening right now, your purpose for prosperity was to bring the Messiah into the world. The purpose for this bondage is still to bring the Messiah into the world. That's the ultimate goal. And had they understood that that was their purpose and lived in prosperity with that purpose and mindset, 
they could have avoided bondage. But because that was the ultimate purpose, now God's going to take them into bondage in order to preserve that promise that he made unto Abraham. You have anything else on 11? Well, it just goes to show that God is very patient, but at the end of the day, he's just. God is full of mercy, but there comes a point in time where where God is going to act in judgment. And the northern kingdom had gotten to a point where they weren't interested in what God wanted anymore. So the Assyrians were coming in and they were going uh, into captivity to serve another nation. So it's very sad because it didn't have to happen that way, but it just goes to show what happens when we choose to defy God. Right. Uh, and I, that's a great point. And I think it's also worth pointing out for us today from an application standpoint, uh, our plans our expectations, what we think should happen, uh, should always take a back seat to the will of God. And and I think if you've lived long enough, you realize that uh, for the most part, if we're loyal to God, his will and his desire for us is probably greater than what uh, we have for ourselves. So uh, excellent point. Going on to verse 12 says, so for yourselves, righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. What do you have there, Mark? Well, I think it's interesting. It says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Be righteous. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who want to do right, who have a hunger to be righteous. They want to be righteous. Well, we know the children of Israel were not being righteous. But it also says what I found interesting is break up your fallow ground, that hard ground, that unfruitful ground that wasn't good for anything. God is saying it's time to break up that ground and repent and come back to me. The time is now. The children of Israel, their soil was not right. When I think of soil, I go to Luke 8, chapter 4 and verse 15, when uh, we talk about the parable of the sowers there. And Jesus mentions the different soils. I have that written out in my Bible. But an example of bad soil is Jeremiah chapter 36 and verses 20 through 23. We remember what King Jehoiakim did when he got the scroll from Jeremiah. And he didn't like it and he cut it up and he threw it into the fire. His soil was so bad, he had such a hatred for God's word and for God's prophets that it went, it got to the point where he just took it and he threw it into the fire. His heart was so hard. His soil was bad. And the children of Israel, they had this hard soil. And God says, it's time to break it up, repent and return to me, and I will heal you. But they did not want to do that. So the Assyrians were coming in. But God is telling them the time is now to repent. Excellent point. I underline that phrase, so for yourself, righteousness. And I just put the note, what they lacked, and I put chapter 4, verses 1 uh, and 6. Uh, verse 1 talks about the fact that they lacked faithfulness, uh, they lacked steadfast love, uh, and they lacked knowledge of God. And I think this is a big portion of it. And you go down to verse 6, and it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's uh, There's a a cause and effect facet here in the sense that if you sow for yourself righteousness then you're going to reap for yourself steadfast love and we're going to see that here uh, as we come in 
uh, to future verses, uh, the opposite of this. Uh, but that's what they lacked. They lacked righteousness. They lacked knowledge of God. They lacked steadfast love, uh, a commitment uh, to the covenant that they made. I put Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And that's the point that that's the advice that God has given the nation through the prophet Hosea. I'm glad you put up, uh, brought up uh, the parable of the sower because I have you went to Luke's reference. I went to Matthew 13, the uh, parallel account in Matthew. Uh, but there's a thought here of preparing your heart and to receive the word. And you look at Matthew chapter 12, and verse 35, and it says essentially there that uh, the one who puts good treasures or good things into his heart uh, will bear good things, will bear uh, good, but the one who puts evil things into his heart will bear evil things. And uh, that's the point Hosea is going to make starting here in verse 12 and going through the remainder of the chapter. Uh, and it's a, a testament or, an, or a testimony to us today from an application standpoint. And, and we've heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out. And, and it, we have to be very careful of what we're putting in what we're watching, what we're li- uh, the things to which we listen, uh, the kind of conversations we're having with people, because eventually that stuff starts to manifest itself in our uh, in the fruit that we provide. Uh, but on the other side, if we spend our time in prayer, spend our time in study, spend our time uh, meditating on God's word, which is mentioned throughout the Bible, uh, then we're going to bear fruit uh, worthy of repentance. We're going to bear fruit that that glorifies God and pleases him. Uh, I've underlined also that phrase, uh, rain righteousness upon you. And I think we're talking about salvation here. Uh, But I put Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, which is one of my favorite verses, because I like the fact that God tells Israel, put me to the test, uphold your end of the covenant and see that I don't uphold my end of the covenant. And there he says, Put me to the test, uh, do what you're supposed to do and see that I don't open up the window of heaven and rain down a blessing upon you so great that you're not even capable of receiving it all. Uh, and that goes back to the thoughts you were making about uh, the love God has for the backslider. Uh, it's not a a vindictive love. It's not a vindictive attitude from the standpoint of you've wronged me, so now I'm going to wrong you. He's pleading with the people, come back. Uh, And if you underline in your Bibles again, underline that phrase, steadfast love, and that's the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is one of those uh, words in the Hebrew that we don't really have an English word that encapsulates encapsulates everything that is involved with it. Uh, It's translated steadfast love here. Sometimes it's kindness. Sometimes it's mercy. Uh, on rare occasions, it may be grace. Uh, it has the thought of it. It, it has one commentator said uh, the Greek word or the Hebrew word has said is at the heart of uh, the covenantal agreement. In other words, you can't have a covenant uh, without has said. And so there's the, uh, a sense where it's the obligatory nature uh, of being in a covenant. In other words, obligating ourselves to that covenant. Uh, one uh professor that I have made the point that has said is, and we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but it's the wealth of having a covenantal relationship with God. 
Uh, and that's the point that, that, that Jose is making. If you sow for yourself righteousness, another way to say that is if you uphold your part of the covenant, well, then God's going to uphold his part of the covenant. And when we fail to uphold our part of the covenant with God, then we rob ourselves of that obligation God has put upon himself to uphold his end of the uh uh, covenant, and I think wealth of of a covenantal agreement is a great way to describe that word. Has said, you have anything else on twelve? Well, I think the nation of Israel shows us just how hard people's hearts can get, just how far they can stray away from God, and they had gone so far away from God that God was telling them, "Look, if you will just repent and come back to me, I will." forgive you. I will heal you. But it got to the point where they weren't going to do that. But you're absolutely right. God wanted to bless them. God did not want to punish the children of Israel. But at the end of the day, the children of Israel, they shook their fist at God and they defied him. And God was going to bring in the Assyrians. Hosea is a very interesting book. And verse 12 is very interesting but God was still giving them that chance. I remember throughout Isaiah, over and over you read, but the uh, the Lord's hand is still extended. The Lord's hand is still here. Over and over, God's pointing out their sins, but throughout the book of, uh, of Isaiah, it says, but the Lord's hand is still stretched out. God was telling them, you, you've done all these things, but my hand is still stretched out to you. And God truly does love backsliders, but at the end of the day, if one does not repent, judgment will come. And that's exactly what happened to the northern kingdom. You're absolutely right. Uh, and we go on just picking up at verse 13. We'll just go through the end of the chapter. It says, you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way. And in the multitude of your warriors, therefore, the tumult of war shall rise among your people and your fortress shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel in the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall utterly shall be utterly cut off. What do you have there, Mark? Well, I think that. This is another verse that stands out. It says, you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. I have Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is our death. And I have Galatians 6, 7 written to you reap what you sow. And the children of Israel, they trusted in their military might. They trusted in their mighty men when they should have been putting their trust in God. And not only did they trust in their mighty men, but they trusted in their own sinful ways. And because they trusted in their sinful ways, they were going to reap that. And God is saying, because you didn't want to trust in me, because you didn't want to put your faith in me, there's going to be destruction. And I think it's a sad picture, but it just goes to show today, if we don't put our faith and trust in God, if we choose to follow after sin, that it will end in destruction for us today too, like it did the Northern Kingdom. Excellent point. And I I just circled, uh, you've plowed iniquity uh, and drew a line and have reaped injustice. So I took that phrase there at the beginning of 13. I just drew a line 
up to the beginning of verse 12. So for yourself, righteousness, reap steadfast love, and just put uh, the contrast of sowing what God tells us to sow versus sowing what man uh, wants to sow. Uh, with God, you're going to have steadfast love. You're going to have that wealth of that covenantal relationship. Uh, you sow what man tells you to sow. Uh, you're going to have injustice. You're going to have fruits of lies. Uh, one commentator said a better translation of that or better, uh, better way to phrase it to, to capture what's saying is false fruits. In other words, things that don't, uh, that don't provide uh, what they deceiving, they, they deceive an individual. Uh, they don't provide what is expected from, uh, from them. Uh, you can put Nahum three and verse 10 there. Uh, which coincides with verse 14, where it talks about, um, it says, yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every steel. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all of her great men were bound in chains. And in that verse, I've circled the word yet in Nahum 3 and verse 10. Uh, and the word yet there, in spite of their allies and their situational advantages, uh, they were still conquered by the Assyrian uh, government. Uh, and that's because, not because uh, Assyria, Assyria was a powerhouse, but they were a powerhouse because God allowed them. And the reason that Israel was conquered by Assyria is because God used Israel to punish his people. And he, he, he prophesied that that's what he was going to do. Uh, and so Assyria was successful because God had left Israel uh, and had used that nation to to bring about. Uh, I like the fact that you talked about uh, their military uh, strength. Uh, and without God, it's useless. I underline that phrase, multitude of your warriors. Uh, and at the bottom of that page uh, in my Bible, I just put the multitude of your warriors, verse 13. And I put Gideon. Uh, from and ju from Judges seven, uh, who conquered an army with an ar or conquered a massive army with an army of three hundred men. Uh, Joshua in Joshua chapter six conquered a, a very heavily fortified Jericho uh, with the aid of God. Uh, Caleb in Joshua fourteen taking the mountain of giants uh, did so uh, because God was on his side. David in First Samuel seventeen when he conquered Goliath. Elijah in 1 Kings 18, when he uh, defeated the 450 prophets of Baal, yet he was only by himself. Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19, when uh, God uh, annihilated uh, or, or killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers as they came in to attack Jerusalem, which I believe is the demise uh, of the uh, Assyrian Empire at that point. Uh, Ehud. Uh, killing all those individuals with an ox goad uh, by himself because God was with him. Uh, Samson in Judges 16, uh, even though he had uh, his eyes plucked out and had lost his strength because God restored his strength, he was able to kill more Philistines in his death than he did uh, at, at any point during his life combined. Uh, and then I also put, uh, to kind of uh, summarize or, or, or put the cherry on top, for lack of a better term, uh, the church, uh, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, uh, God promises that when the church is established, it will never be destroyed. And you look at all the empires uh, that have come and gone throughout history and, and the ones that have 
uh, stood themselves uh, or, or uh, stood up against uh, or, or, or set themselves against the church, um, those empires are distant memories. They're just they're in the history books, and that's the, the only place they exist today. Yet the church is alive and well, uh, and that and God's never worked in the multitude. Uh, God's never worked uh, among the majority. He's always worked uh, with the minority. He's always worked uh, with those who are lesser, uh, and, and and I say lesser from a worldly standpoint. Uh, and and that's the point. You rely on God, and and that's the thing. When you're when you side with God, you're not in the majority or or, or minority. You're always in the majority. Uh, but the world doesn't see it that way. Do you have anything else? Well, I think you made some good points. Uh, I also like to think of Habakkuk when Habakkuk was asking God, you know, you're going to allow the Babylonians who are more wicked than us to take us over. And it just goes to show that God can use any nation to accomplish his will. But Habakkuk is almost saying, you know, God, we're bad, but we're not that bad. We're not the Babylonians. But God says, don't worry, Habakkuk. He said, the Babylonians, they're going to get it too. I haven't forgotten about them. And we just have to remember, but by looking at Hosea, we see that God is in control. And the Assyrians, they are a wicked nation. But at the end of the day, overall, God sees the whole picture and he knows exactly what he's doing. But you're exactly right. I have Nahum chapter 3 and verse 10 written out by verse 14 because that verse shows us just how wicked and terrible that the Assyrians were. And we remember Jonah, God told Jonah to go and to preach to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, to get them to repent. And Jonah didn't want to do it uh, simply because Jonah knew about the Assyrians. He should have obeyed God, but it just goes to show how wicked that the Assyrians were. But God said this could have been avoided You didn't have to be taken over if you would have just obeyed me. And like we talked about in verse 13, it says, They plowed wickedness, they reaped iniquity, they have eaten the fruit of their lies, and because they've done this, judgment was coming. But this didn't have to happen, but God was going to use the Assyrians to punish the northern kingdom, and they were never really going to recover from this. Uh, Judah was the seed line to which Christ was going to come into the world, And Judah, God was patient with Judah. Judah had some good kings. The northern kingdom had no good kings. Uh, But it just goes to show that judgment was coming. They were going to reap uh, what they sowed because of their iniquity. But it was very sad because the northern kingdom really wouldn't recover from this. But it's better to just obey God and do what he says. Excellent point. I've underlined in your own way, put Romans one twenty two, uh, like you uh, just staying in, uh, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Jeremiah 10 and verse uh, 23, it's not for man to direct his own steps, Proverbs 69 as well. Uh, and that's the point. You see throughout the Bible, those who have relied upon God have been successful. Those who have relied on themselves have failed. Uh, if you want to just you know bear it down to a very simple way to explain it, that's the way to explain it. Uh, and I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that you made the point that even God, even though God used nations like Assyria and Babylon, they would still have to face uh, their own uh, action or answer 
face the consequences for their own actions. Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 11. And then you see again, as mentioned earlier, 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, that Assyria would not go unpunished. Sennacherib would be victorious against the northern kingdom. He would start to make his way through the southern kingdom. He would fail at Jerusalem. Then he would end up going back uh, to Nineveh to be assassinated by his sons. Uh, and and then uh, from that point on, from a historical standpoint, you just see a, the Assyrian Empire start to decline and the Babylonian Empire eventually come into uh, come into power. Uh, and again, like you mentioned with Habakkuk, uh, it's all according to God's will. And uh, Daniel 4 the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Uh, that was the case in the Old Testament. That's the case when the New Testament was being written. Uh, that was the case uh, for the last 2,000 years. And if the Lord wills that the earth continue another 2,000 or more years, uh, that will always be the case. Uh, and I know you look across the landscape today of the world, and we may get frustrated with the state of governments and world leaders uh, and society and culture and all that. Uh, but as Christians, we can rest assured uh, that at the end of the day, the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And it's simply our our responsibility to decide ourselves with God. And we do that through faithful obedience and loyalty to his word. What else do you have? Well, I think it just goes to show. And like we mentioned at the beginning, uh, Hosea does show uh, God's love for backsliders. But I think that the book of Hosea also shows us that, yes, God is patient with us, but there's going to have to come a time where we're going to have to repent and say, I need to change and come back to God. Because there is a judgment day for everyone. Uh, one day we will all stand before God. Everyone who has ever lived will stand before God, and we will have to give an account. And so like we talked about in verse 12, break up that fallow ground and repent because the time is now. It's time to repent, and it just goes to show us uh, throughout the book of Hosea that God is merciful, but he is also just. That's a great way to close it out, uh, and, and I appreciate you bringing that out because we always focus maybe on the punishment that Israel uh, is about to receive, uh, but I think an even greater point of focus is the call is God's call for repentance. And that's the case for today. We always get focused on the things God tells us not to do. Uh, the, as a Christian, you can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, but the reality is, is, is Christianity is God's call for us to have a relationship with him because of the benefits that we have when we have that relationship with him. Uh, not only a fulfilling life here on earth, but also life with him for eternity. That's a great way to close it out. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. Thank you. Uh, those who are listening, thank you for listening and, and, and taking part in this, in this study with us. Uh, follow us. Uh, subscribe, if you will. Help us build this channel. Help us build this podcast uh, on whatever you're, uh, wherever you're listening to it. Go to our social media outlets uh, and follow us there. Communicate with us there if you would. We, uh, if you would like. We would love to hear from you. And with that, we are out. Thank you.